Hello, Charlie Gladstone here and welcome to episode 33 of my Mavericks podcast. This is a special, it's called The Young Mavericks and I'll come back to that in a moment. I just wanted to give you one bit of advice and that is a simple one. You may remember that recently I recorded my dad and put that up as a Mavericks podcast and actually it's been one of my most listened to ones which was great. I actually just recorded dad because I felt that I had the kit and that I wanted to record him and my advice is this, if you know someone who is relatively elderly, do consider recording their voice quite unexpectedly about a month or maybe less after I published the Mavericks podcast with my dad, he died very suddenly and that was of course a massive shock and being slightly old fashioned I don't really want to go into that too deeply here, I don't want to overshare. But it is interesting that when someone does die, we have so much of them. We have their stuff and we have loads of photographs and we have probably lots of writing as well. But it's very easy to forget what someone's voice sounds like. And although I haven't been able to bring myself to listen back to the podcast yet, I know that I will one day. And I think it's enormously valuable to have the recorded voice of someone when they're gone. I don't think you need any particularly swanky kit. I mean, I haven't actually got particularly swanky kit here, but I've just got some proper microphones and a decent digital recorder. But I do think it's rather a wonderful thing, so that's my advice. Dad was 92 when he died, and turning from the very old, or the pretty old, to the very young, I realised that I've been interviewing people roughly of my own age in this podcast so far, some younger and some older but I've actually got lots of much younger friends and I suppose they're, they're all friends or not most of them are friends through my children who, are, who range from nearly 18 to 29. So I, um, I've made friends with lots of young people and I thought it might be interesting to talk to some of those who are doing interesting things. The first of these, and there probably will be more, is to do with young mavericks doing business. I chose three of them who are doing something by themselves, one of whom has raised an enormous amount of money to open a restaurant, the other of whom has borrowed a little bit of money from their parents to set up a homewares business, and the third of which is creating a magazine or has created a couple of editions of the magazine while also working a full-time job or being at university. And to try to get their perspectives on what it is that they've done and what the challenges have been and what the pleasures have been and what the pain has been. Anyway, those three people are Grace Erskine Crum, who is actually my goddaughter, who has opened a business selling candles, notebooks and cards and that sort of thing. Hugo Ross, who started a magazine called Vanguards when he was at university and has published a second edition whilst working a full-time job. And Fabian Clark, who started as a street food vendor and has opened a restaurant in London, Soho. Anyway, if my voice sounds a bit flat, I'm sorry, it's quite early in the morning, but I just felt like recording this. So, let's start with the Young Mavericks and Grace Erskine Crum. I don't, I don't know how old you are, even though you're my goddaughter. <laughs> I was never a very good godfather. <laughs> how, how old are you? 28. Okay. And... I'm right in saying you studied sculpture. Yeah, well, fine art, fine but art. Uh, focused on sculpture. And then 
and then you wanted to be a sculptor. Yes. So I then came out of art college and went, I actually took a year out and went travelling because I hadn't done that. I went straight into my foundation before. Uh, and then came back and actually did about six months in the film industry just to give it a go. Um, I was looking through my sketchbooks one day and was just like, actually, what am I doing? I need to be, I need to give my sculpture a go. So got a little art studio and just made, made as much as I could, really. And did you, I mean, you're now an entrepreneur and you're, you started your own business, but did you just, what, what sort of made you decide that sculpting wasn't something that you were going to pursue? I mean, maybe you'll come back to it, I don't know. But. Um, I think, for me, at the time, if, if you're going to be a conceptual artist, your concept has to be your life, your passion. You have to, your life has to revolve around it, basically. And I had my concept, but and I was really interested in it, but not, I don't think, to the point where my life revolved around it. Right, okay, so it just, it didn't feel like you were quite doing what you truly wanted to do. Yeah, it just, it didn't, it didn't feel right. So you've set, now you've set up your own business, describe that to me. So now I started um, by making, by just creating some, some bits of artwork, really, um, and then thought, oh, well, these could go on mugs or, or tea towels and stuff like that, and I brought them to you, didn't I? Mm. Um, and then I kind of just, just made everything and saw what worked. I made quite a few different products, um, mainly homeware, so mugs, tea towels, uh, did some prints, did some handmade notebooks, um, and then also the candles. Um, and just thought I'd give it a go one day, making some scented candles, and it worked really well. It's, it's worked really well. So now your candles are in places like Selfridges. Mm -hmm. where, where else are you? They're in Designers Guild. They're here in Peddlers. Um, I had the greetings cards in Fennec, um, in Dulwich Picture Gallery. Indian summer shop. So it's so it's essentially it's it's going well. Yes. And do you feel? I mean, do you you feel like you're doing the right thing? Yes. So what I was saying earlier with the sculpture, it just didn't feel right. Well, as soon as I started this, I'm very much a person who goes on gut instinct and listens to my intuition, and it, this just felt right. I felt like. I just had a really good feeling about it, and I've still got that feeling, which is why I'm still going. And do you and do you find it? I mean, so I think it's you know it's important for me. It's important in these discussions with people to mm. to talk about money because my sense is that a lot of young people think that well, I'll just set up a business making whatever it is I make, mm. and I'll make a good living from it. But it isn't like that. No. And, and you've been lucky not. enough to be able to borrow the money, and that's great. And yeah. I know you've been running it very, very frugally. But yeah. are you doing this for money? No. I mean, it would be nice at the end of the day if it, um, if it, if it all worked out in a very profitable way. But I do it for the enjoyment of it. And you carried on doing other jobs during the course of this as well. Yeah, yeah. You? I only... I mean, I was a part-time nanny for three 
three years, mm. four years. Um, but then this got to the point where I couldn't do everything. I mean, I'm on my own doing it all. And it got to the point where I couldn't physically do everything um, and still do the part-time job. So gave up and then did this full-time. But you feel, you, so, but you feel, you still feel, despite it, you know, being brutally hard work mm. or I'm putting words into your mouth, it is brutally it is. hard work. Isn't yeah, it? yeah, absolutely. Um, you, you feel like you're, you're satisfied in yourself, do you? Yes, definitely. I think one part of <clears throat> having your own company, though, is that you always feel like you should be doing more. I don't feel ever fully satisfied because I always feel there's something more I could do. Does that make sense? Yes, of course. And now over to Fabian Clark, who has just opened a restaurant in central London, in London, Soho, to hear from him. Remind me, are you 30 yet? No, uh, fortunately, I'm one year away, so I'm 29. Just been 29? Uh, 29 in February, so I suppose it feels like a long time ago, but it was only two months ago. And you've, you've, you've achieved a huge amount up to this stage. I mean, you've opened your first restaurant in central London. Yeah. Um, just talk, talk me through what Claw is, what your business is. Yes, um... So Claw, uh, I suppose, essentially is a, f a food brand, a restaurant brand, uh, uh, but I suppose in a nutshell, it's basically just uh, a food brand because we offer, we work both in restaurants as well as events. Um, but it essentially started uh, as sort of a lot of stories, um, as I'm sure you've read in the papers from uh, street food and then going into festivals and then eventually opening a bricks and mortar site, which was um, something we'd always intended to do. Uh, but now the crux of our business is two arms, so we have a restaurant arm. Um, and as you said, we just opened about three, four months ago, and we hope to sort of grow that arm of the business. But at the moment, I'm also really focusing on the event side. Uh, I mean, we, for reasons we can go to go into more detail later. But, and you're, um, you're, I mean, you know, you're, you're obviously young. Um, what, did you, what did you study? Uh, so I studied uh, one of the most lengthy degrees, uh, titles for a degree ever, which was International Business, Finance and Economics, um, uh, or IBFI, as some of us call it. <laughs> uh, <with laughs> IBFI? Yeah, I think I had like two friends on the whole course because, um, uh, yeah, it was very economics focused. What, because you didn't like anyone or because uh, no, no, I don't think no one else that, did it? They were, just weren't that friendly. They were sort of all, um, a lot of them were sort of, uh, Chinese people who all stuck to themselves and didn't want to talk to anyone else. So I just, I managed to make some friends who happened to be in my halls and then we just hung out together. And but it wasn't, own. it wasn't just you they didn't want to speak No, to. maybe it was just me, I don't know. Um, but, and, and, and so that, that wasn't really with a view specifically to anything vocational? No, I mean, so I'd actually, funnily enough, uh, so I went to Manchester, uh, I had actually in, initially intended to read um, History of Art. And then I suddenly had, as I'm sure everyone will realise by the end of this uh, interview, I'm inherently very indecisive. And um, so I went along to the uh, open day, even though I'd already accepted History of Art, and then thought, oh, I don't know, because uh, he started speaking about all sort of the career opportunities afterwards and being a curator and stuff, and I just thought, oh, I don't know if that's really me. And then I just happened to impromptuely walk into a lecture hall, which was about this IPFI degree and then I ended up signing up to it even though I had no math mathematical background. Um, and then the irony of it was I actually 
somehow in my stats exam got sort of the second highest mark they've ever had, which is, I don't know how I ever achieved that, but um, so you t- so it was a, a moment good, of glory a good choice. <laughs> one time. But, but thereafter, I think I'm, I'm you know, you, you, I'm right in thinking that you tried to do various sort of nine-to-fives, did you? Yes, I, um, I did a whole spectrum of uh, jobs. Um, from a funny one, which was uh, cleaning pots in a veterinary clinic uh, of badger shit, basically. Um, and then eventually, I sorry, uh, then landed up in uh, branding. Uh, I went into branding because uh, I've always been a fairly visual person. Um, always, ha- I, I know it sounds odd, I used to just love walking, particularly food and drink brands, and I used to love walking around supermarkets. I was like one of the few men who actually enjoy walking around looking at all the packaging and getting soaked up to sort of the subliminal messages. Um, Anyway, so I went into branding. Yeah, Yeah. no, I love it as well. I think it really can captivate you. And then so I um, went in there as an account, whatever they were, exec, and then uh, did that for about three years. Uh, Yes, I did that. And uh, when I was there, I remember even actually my first um, job in branding, which is a company called Brand Opus, I was working on Twinings, where they were rolling out some huge international packaging, which was very boring. and even whilst I was there, I was coming up with this idea of actually an app, which was a ticketing app. And at the time, there wasn't really much of a platform for this genre of music. Uh, so I was coming up with that, but then I, I spent two years still in branding. And then I actually quit my job because I thought, you know, hell with it. I'll just see, give it a go. Well, give a go. So you, you essentially were motivated by starting your own business at that stage rather than it being a food-based business. Yeah, so I think primarily I'd always... You know, I'm sure if my mum or dad was here, they could say that all my school reports said the same thing, whereas I could apply myself if I wanted to, but I hated when people told me what to do. And, you know, I think I always knew naturally deep down that I had to work for myself. I couldn't work for someone else. Why why do you think that was? I don't know. I think, um, I suppose uh, I'm fairly, like, opinionated and I I quite like... um, I feel I, I need to be heavily motivated to do something and if I want to work on something and I feel like if I'm working for someone else I find it a lot harder to motivate myself if I'm just a cog in a machine or mm. or if I'm just churning out sort of meaningless work. So when I was in branding, I, you know, I, even though I'd only been there a year, I wanted to jump straight up to director level because they had much more autonomy. Mm. Um, but, you know, then you still had to go through this ridiculous process of doing at least six years before you could ever get there because you need the experience. And then I spoke to Hugo Ross, who launched the magazine Vanguards while he was at Edinburgh University and has published a second copy of it while working a full-time job in London. How old are you? 25. Okay. And the thing that I always found very impressive was that you put out the first issue of Vanguards while you were still a student at Edinburgh University. I don't think it's necessarily that impressive or, um, or you know, admi- admirable or remarkable. I think that it's incredibly achievable for everyone at university. And it's, you know, from where I'm sitting, it's quite necessary. Certainly for where I am in my career and where I want to go, it, it's really helped get the ball rolling. In um, terms of, you mean in terms, so having this thing that you've done was, yeah, was impressive well, to people well, or it, it gave you confidence? Well, what, what, yeah, it, it's... I have a great list of people that I think are remarkable, admirable and impressive. Lots of people that inspire me. Some of them are... Some of them are not even people, some of them are brands. Um, and 
um, you know, from a very early age, I was really ambitious to always interact and talk to these people. A bit before Instagram and Facebook, where you couldn't, where brands or individuals couldn't so easily or so readily um, pick up a conversation with just a, a normal teenager. So I've always wanted to approach, you know, people like yourself. Um, and as soon as I started my own thing, as soon as I started Vanguard, it became not only a talking point, but it, came, it became a tool for me to approach people and say, look, this is kind of a bit like a pseudo business card. This is what I've done. Um, won't you reply to my email or won't you, um, you know, can't, can I introduce myself and you're now part of my network and I can, you know, maybe down the line introduce you to the second issue or the third issue and maybe call on you for a favour or ask you to introduce me to somebody. Um, it's really interesting, isn't it, what you say about this, this kind of idea of one thing leading to another because I feel like all the things that I've done, all little businesses I've started, have all led in, in lots of ways to the good life experience. I mean, I don't know whether I'll make that work financially, but I, I know that I couldn't have done one good without life. the other. Yeah, exactly, yeah, if yeah. I hadn't done the other things. And so I started Peddlers, and then, you know, if I hadn't done Peddlers, I would never have been able to do the farm shops or the Glen Arms or, yeah, of or anything course, of like course. that. Yeah, of course, Well, that's, again, going back to the, this idea that, like, um, you know, this this first project for me, Vanguard's, was was necessary because I feel like it's it's been a stepping stone to other things. I ha n n none of my other ideas that have come off the back of Vanguard's have materialised into anything, but they've definitely got the wheels turning. Um, and um, yeah, that's how that's how I view it. You know, it's not successful financially, and it's not been successful so far as um, it, it's not been incredibly widely received. Um, the readership's quite small, but. I think that it's, it's, it's for sure a stepping stone onto the next project. It's also incredibly nice. I mean, you did the second issue that you did just before you started full-time work, right? Uh, you know, no, whilst, whilst While you were I working full-time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was, a, that was a monster leap forward mm. in terms of the production, the, the, the depth yeah, again, of it, a bit of a, bit more of a stepping stone. You know? Yeah. It was, it, was, um, it was bigger in pagination, bigger, bigger physically, um, and had a lot more creative involvement. We, we sort of worked with a, an agency. Um, we dealt with the graphics ourselves in the first issue and, and um, we wanted to work in a more of like collaborative realm. So worked with a couple of good friends who have an agency called 12B, um, who are not unlike James and I. James is the guy who I uh, work on Vanguards with. So, so essentially, what you're saying is that you, you did it because you love, because it obviously it leads to something, but you love the process of creating something yourself, right? Yeah, of course, yeah. It's just, it's, it's, a, really, it's a really good use of your time. It's, it's whiles away the hours and the purse strings, but it's actually just, you know, really rewarding. And I think you can reflect on it. And as it, because it's physical, you know, you can keep it forever. Um, I've got a couple of boxes in my room and, you know, they'll probably be there for a while. And it's quite nice to just reflect on it. Do you think that, do you think, I mean, was it hard work putting it together? Um, yeah, it, it, it is quite hard because you have to jeopardise some of your free time. Uh, again, you have to jeopardise quite a lot of your, your own sort of, you know, your own money. Um, but I never, I, know it, I don't really say, it, I don't think it's a labour of love. It's, it's um, again, just something that was necessary. I had to do it. I, mm. I had to, like, create something. Um, uh, yeah. Yes. As simple but, as that. But so yeah. Okay. So it was. It was. 
it, it wasn't really hard work because you loved it. Yeah, yeah. And, but were the stresses involved in doing it? Yeah, there's, there's lots of stresses. I suppose you have to appease quite a lot of people. You know, you, you start managing a network of people. So you have a list of contributors, you have a list of stockists. There's lots of obligations that you have to, you know, lots of criteria that you have to meet. Um, you know, what was first inconsequential becomes fundamental. So all of a sudden you have a business and then you have an accountant and you have to pay your accountant and you have, you have to um, you know, meet certain trading standards and you have to, you know, you're, you're conscious that, you know, that all, there's, all, there's lots at stake. Um, you don't want to make any mistakes. Um, so, there, yeah, of course it's stressful, but, you know, and, you, and you just get on with it. You fund, how did you fund the first... So the first, the first issue was funded just through myself and my partner James. It, you know, it was the best part of £5,000 all in. Um, and then the second issue was funded through a Kickstarter and we managed to galvanise a bit of advertising money. So, you know, more or less raised £12,000. Um, Which is very impressive. I mean, it's interesting this because for this um, podcast, I'm talking to one person who raised money from an investor one person who borrowed from their parents and one person who's, or two people in your case, you and James, who, who did it, who did the um, Kickstarter one, as it were, which is more interesting. What, how was that experience? It, it always seems to me like massively stressful because what seems to happen on Kickstarter is you get this really good push at the beginning and, and people invest and then you're kind of not going to make your target for most of it, most of the time. I yeah, imagine. yeah, there, there's, a, there's certainly a big lull in between the start and the finish. I actually think, looking back, that we could have raised any amount of money. I, I think that it was always going to happen, but people respond to that, you know. So, so we, we raised £10,000 and we set out to raise £10,000, but I think people would have responded differently if we were to, to try and raise 15000 Do you know what I mean? I think yes. like, people, yeah. people, people are supportive enough to get it over the finish line. But, you know, once, once we hit 10000 nobody needed to sponsor any further. And then I asked the same question of Fabian. You met an investor. How did yes, you, how sorry, did you do that? Yes, sorry, rambling on. That's um, right. So as I kind of said, yeah, so after about two years, I started uh, really actively trying to, uh, so I structured a business plan for myself, which not only then laid out sort of the foundations of what I wanted to do, but then it also um, demonstrated to myself and others that I was a bit more serious. Uh, started speaking to various companies, so... Um, companies which uh, raise f funds from a pool of investors uh, to meeting other people who'd invest in restaurants or just meeting other restaurants and asking them how they raise money. Um, and then actually we did a pop-up. Well, sorry to interrupt. Were people, uh, and you found people generally responsive? They didn't dismiss you because you were so young? No, no. I think the, the age definitely didn't really come into it. I think for sure people saw me as, maybe not inexperienced, but... Um, I, I, th I don't know, maybe it was me being self-conscious, but I definitely felt that they realized, they appreciated the fact that I'd never worked in hospitality. And, um, you know, apart from the odd job here or there or whatever. But, uh, so I think that was their one thing they're perhaps conscious about. But before I met my actual current investor, I, I was actually quite, not far down the line, but I was um, in the process of raising money with another company. And we were taking it fairly seriously. So, yeah, I think they, you know, they were... Maybe taking me or the brand seriously. In, but how did you learn all. to? How did you teach yourself to make a business plan? Uh, I'm not sure. I'm trying to remember. Um, 
I think because I'd actually created a business plan for the app idea I'd done two years ago. And I'd learned how to do that off the back of a friend who'd started a successful app. And then so, and obviously from my, I suppose maybe the only limited amount of information I took from my degree was perhaps that. Um, of okay, how to okay. sort of how to uh, write the financial side of a business plan, and then you know you look online, you just read about how they should be laid out and the kind of relevant information and etc. And you know if I showed you my original business plan, they're like laughable because it was like, <laughs> it was the worstly constructed thing on PowerPoint to sort of then eventually now becoming a lot more professional. And that I'm sure we wouldn't have got the lease we have now without the the sort of four-page pack that we provided them, which a much more experienced designer than I am <laughs> put uh, together. Did. But, but I mean, it, it's, it's an astonishing... How much money did you raise, you uh, would say? Yeah, so we raised uh, just shy of um, half a million, uh, which sounds like a lot, but... Um, no, well, I mean, I, yeah. whether it's a lot for what you're doing or not, it's a huge amount of money to raise. Yeah. And, and do you think that your ability to do that, then, obviously, you had a good business plan, mm. and... Clearly, you had an idea that people believed in. Was it just your? Do you, what do you think people? Was it you that they are investing in? Do you think? And what I, I did they think, say? Yes, yeah, so I think from the few people I've met and from my own experiences, I think I think any business, whatever it is, is fundamentally, or any startup business, should we say, uh, is fundamentally they're buying into the to the person because they are really the crux of the business. Without them, it doesn't exist. I'm sure, obviously, once you scale it and you get to sort of whatever, you know, if you had a 20-site brand, then you kind of step back and you're, you're kind of removed from it. But um, definitely, I think, from the outset, people are buying into you because you're the person who's going to be driving the business. Without you, it doesn't exist. Um, however, however um, you know, successful they think it's going to be, you know, you, you, you need to be there on a daily basis. And you, but, um, you, but you also, am I right in saying, I mean, you have literally done everything from plans to overseeing design to working the floor to employing the team is have you done all that yourself? Uh, kind uh, I'd say from the outset as in when I first started the business obviously I've, I've done everything now with the restaurant I yes yeah, so obviously you know you yeah you speak to architects designers um, Surveyors, building control, and you're learning on the hoof when you're doing. Yeah, this. I'm learning it all, and I, I mean, I assure you, I'm still very much in the deep end and learning a huge amount. Um, uh, I still feel out of my depth on a daily basis. Um, but yeah, no, I, I did pretty much all of it. You know, I hired a, a, but then I did hire a restaurant manager who'd been a manager before in a fairly large um, set of restaurants, so that did help. And these people are happy to put their faith in, in you. For presumably the same reason, I imagine. I think so, yeah. I think, I mean, so I'd say nearly all the employees uh, I have at the moment, um, all the sort of, man, the sort of more senior employees, they've all come from fairly corporate backgrounds, apart from my head chef. Um, and and I think that, you know, they wanted something a bit different. I mean, this, I mean I've mean, i never actually asked them this uh, for the exact reason why they jumped on my sort of... Uh, uh, Put their faith in you. <laughs> yeah, in my yeah. ship, as it were. But... Um, they, I think they definitely saw something. They perhaps they just they thought this could be a bit different, a bit exciting, and they can actually be part of a, a growing brand. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and so when you get up in the morning now, I mean, you, you I know you you know we'll come to how far you want to go and, and how it's mm. going, but do you feel like you're doing the right thing? Because I, I thought it's really interesting when I was talking to Johnny Bowden for yeah. this podcast a couple of episodes ago, 
And he was saying even when they were literally on their knees and going mm. nowhere, he just knew it was going to work. Yeah. Do, do, you, feel, do you feel that? Uh, some, I think most of the time I do. Um, I, I think since, this, since the restaurant's come about, it's added a, a, lot, a lot more pressure. Not, uh, not only financial, but sort of just mental pressure. And as a result, sometimes you doubt yourself, you know, once every, or at the moment, probably once a week, <laughs> I doubt myself and I think, you know, is this just gonna, is this just all gonna just fall, or fall to the wayside? And back to Grace. The life of a sort of self-employed business person, is this making you free? So Tom Hodgkinson in, his, I, I know I've talked to you about this before, his brilliant book, Business for Bohemians, mm. has this notion that people who are doing things like you are free and people who are chained to the yoke of, um, if that's a, not a mixed metaphor, of, of, of an office job, mm. um, are not free. I mean, do you feel free now? Yes, I guess I do. I feel free because I get to make my own decisions. I get to, I get to have the final say on things. Well, I have to have the big start and the end say. Um, fundamentally, yes, I absolutely do enjoy it. I, I love it and can't see myself doing anything else. But fundamentally, I do also find it incredibly difficult. and More difficult than you would have imagined. Oh, yeah. I mean, I can remember you said to me, this is going to be really hard, Grace. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I know, I know. And then six months in, I was like, oh, God, this is really hard. Do, you, do, do any of your friends do similar, I mean, types of, you know, their own business? Yeah, a few. Um, a few, not many, but a few do. And they all, we all sort of say the same thing. It's sort of relentless and, and incredibly difficult, but we all love it. And if you meet someone at a party and you say, I have my own business, what, what's their reaction to you? Oh, God, that's so cool. My God, amazing. Well done. That's so cool. And do you think they think that you're rich? Yeah, and I think you have no idea. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Essentially, yeah, it's great, but yeah, you have, yeah. And, and, and you're, so feeding yourself from borrowing from your father, your own savings and working other jobs, mm. when would be your aim to make a small profit? I mean, at the end of year two, at the end of year three? Yeah, at the, I mean, I'd, I, I would really like to make, the aim is to make a small profit by the end of this year. So post-Christmas, um, I'll take a review and hopefully, fingers crossed, we'll have made a small profit. But do you, do you, has there been at any point in this process that you've thought that you might kind of, you know, build such a successful company that Estee Lauder or LVMH might kind of want to buy it? Or has that never been your... I have moments where I'm like, oh, imagine if this happened or this happened. I think you can't help yourself from, from having those little dreams sometimes. But then you slightly come back down to reality and you're like, okay, no, let's just focus on today and get through this and actually, you know, do it for the enjoyment of it all. I get the sense there are two types of entrepreneurs, though, aren't there, probably? It, 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 although, I mean, it's a broad church, but there are those like you that are fundamentally creatives who want to make beautiful things and mm. sell them and make a living out of it. And there are those who want to make money. And so, you know, they have an idea, but it's all, it's all about sort of the money. Mm. But, but do you think you fall more into the category, the former category? Yes, I think so. Um, 
mainly because probably I am much more of a creative person than I am a business person. If I had that business, you know, that, 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 that more of a business brain than a creative brain, I'd be in the other category. Yes. Um, and I would like to get more of a business brain so that, you know, can take it forward. Do you think you've got more of a business brain 18 months in than you did before? Oh, God, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. In, in what way? I mean, this may sound silly, but I didn't even know what a cash flow was before. And now, you know, I've got all of these things and on top of it every week. And, you know, you just have to be. And but I didn't know any of that before. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, so in many ways, this is like doing a business master's. Yeah, definitely. And but you're, you're learning kind of, on the job. Yeah, teaching yourself, essentially. And back to Hugo. One of the things that I think is really interesting is that we, we all have, if we're lucky enough to have them around, relationships with our parents and our family. And I know that you come from a background where your father has been an employee. And in fact, Grace, who um, also's father has essentially worked for other people, and, and indeed Fabians. How, how do your parents feel about this? How does this generational thing um, reveal itself in terms of, you know, there you are. Now, I know that you're now employed, and, but... But it's clear to anyone who knows you, it's very clear to me, that ultimately your aim is to you know, create something, which I'm sure you'll do, which is of lasting, you know, a lasting project. I mean, vanguards will carry on, and, and, but you're going to do something else as well. D does that scare your parents? Yeah, I think there's a couple of things going on here. So first and foremost, I think your parents always have your best intentions at heart. So they appreciate that. Well, in my case, my parents, my father and my mother both thought, both think with any of my ideas, yes, that sounds great, but you don't fully appreciate this, this, this and this, which is true. I think some of that, um, to counter that, I think some of it is um, valuable. I think that when you're um, inexperienced and ignorance is bliss, you can kind of just be gung-ho, keep your head down and just do it. And you encounter problems as you encounter them rather than appreciating them or forecasting them. Um, so I think there's that. Um, I think that my my dad, being you know a successful successful guy in his own right, has always worked in an institution and in very big multinational institutions. Disney being one of them, he's a firm believer that you should get involved um, and be part of a big system and then grow grow through the company. Um, and then you know I think that. But maybe, would say there is, maybe there is a generational gap as he's maybe may, no maybe there's something that's lost in translation between my dad who's 70 and me who's 25 he doesn't quite appreciate that there are people my age and a bit and a bit older and a bit younger who are doing it themselves and making their own way that is very millennial isn't it like people, people I think just um well I, I don't Maybe, maybe it is millennial. I, I don't know the answer to that. But I think you, you said, you know, that you can be a bit gung-ho, but then no great idea, whether it's creating great paintings or great music or, or a great business, is, is achieved without people being gung-ho. All I can say, Hugo, is do something that makes you happy and makes you want to get out of bed in the morning. And if it goes belly up, well, the, there are worse things that might happen. Hmm. 
and back to grace. What else have you, you know, have you got any kind of key learnings, however prosaic? Patience, and you have to be open to the crap that's going to happen. People not paying you or... Yeah, and just, you know, just the highs and lows of it. You've got to be, like, well, yeah, you've got to be resilient and you've got to be able to take it and, and learn from it and move on from it and use it to your advantage. Um, One okay. of the things which I, I, I mean, I have, you know, given the benefit of my fairly limited wisdom to quite a lot of people of roughly your age and stage and... One of the things that always strikes me is that very few people understand how much you have to charge for something yeah. in order to make it successful. So that, you know, that, that thing of margin, i.e. the difference between yeah. what it costs and what it sells. And, and I think that I'm right in saying that you would say, well, no one will spend this or that on a candle. Yeah. And then I would say, well, then you haven't got a business. Yeah. I mean, has that been a lesson to you absolutely I think that was probably one of the first lessons I I learned which you taught me um and because I because because I sell wholesale you have to have all the different margins within the wholesale as well so it just uh, yeah there's a price which it has to be a minimum price that it has to be for you to in order for you to make a profit. But people simply, it's so interesting know, how people understand. simply don't understand this, both consumers and business people. Yeah, yeah. I can remember I came to you and I was like, no, I want to make these candles affordable, all this kind of stuff. And you're like, but you, you can't. <laughs> they have to be this much money. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> yes, but it, it's, it, I mean, it, no one taught me that, by the way. Yeah. I just learned that yeah. much to my cost. Learned the hard way. I'd sort of say, well, what will people pay when we're doing children's clothes? What will people pay for a pair of children's trousers oh they won't pay more than 20 quid or whatever it was mm. well they have to be that well that this complete madness that mm. but mm. well i thank you for teaching me that so <laughs> early on <laughs> i wasn't asking i was just passing on the benefit <laughs> of, of my accrued wisdom i asked the same question to fabian do, do you have a kind of one key bit of advice that you would give to yourself you know three years ago, say, when yeah. you started this business? One is do as much, much research as possible. Yeah, uh, so for example, when I started this, as I, I did actually do a fair bit of research in the sense that because I wanted this to become a restaurant brand as opposed to a, you know, just sticking as a street food brand, is I looked at the market and, and, and realised that no one had really created an approachable sort of super casual seafood restaurant. Um, and even to this day, no one really has. So that's kind of what the route I wanted to go down. Um, and uh, so, yeah, you sort of really have to just do some research because if you, if say tomorrow someone said came up to me and said, oh, I want to open up a pizza restaurant, I said, well, look how saturated the market is. But that's not saying that it wouldn't be a success. I mean, there's still, I've got friends who've got pizza restaurants and they're still doing well and, you know, they've got a couple already. Uh, yeah, but there are too many pizza restaurants, like there are too many burgers. Yeah, exactly, yeah. But I'm sure there'll be another burger brand, you know, in in the next five years. We'll we'll be talking about so. Uh, yeah, research. I wouldn't, I'm sure. I wouldn't. I wouldn't bet that. You don't think so? No, because I mean, I think you know, it's not a big brand, but maybe like a small. Yeah, maybe. But actually, there's always room for I think for brands on the periphery, you know, sort of around London. Um, I also imagine that it's it's good to position yourself outside the kind of food trend thing. Yeah. Because it seems to me that. 
the burger revolution happened. Mm. I suppose it started what six or seven years ago. Yeah, and and it and the wind blew very very quickly in its favour, and now it's just kind of now it's sort down of completely. yeah. I think now it's just sort of plateaued. I don't know if it's dipping, but it's definitely just sort of people's. But actually, funnily, so when when that whole burger when Patty and Bun, I remember they were doing the first pop up. I used to eat a burger every week. I used to have a bunch of mates, and we'd go and test out a new burger every week. But now, actually, I can't remember the last time I had a burger. I actually um, had one last night because my oven broke, and I had Felix at home, and he said um, he'd like to get them from Honest Burger, and I have to say it was damn good. Wait, yeah, that's the thing. I still love them. I just maybe can't eat them as much as I used no. to. I still eat pizza every week, though. Do you? Uh, yeah. Well, thanks very much to all of my young mavericks. I hope you enjoyed that. It was great talking to them, and I'm incredibly inspired by their endless belief and enthusiasm, and I believe in them. I'm sure they're all going to do brilliantly. These are properly driven people in the nicest and best sense of the word. Thank you very much to my friend, Jim Friend, for editing this, which was a difficult job this time. And thanks to you for listening, especially if you've managed to get this far. I'm really grateful. I will be back very soon, and in the meantime, if you know anyone who you think I should interview on this, then please do get in touch with me. I'm Chaz Gladstone on Instagram, or at the Gladstones on Twitter, or I've even got a website where you can find my email address and stuff, which is charliegladstone.com. Thank you so much. See you soon. Bye.